So this talk is based on a, a book by M. Bayu Ennis. He's a really famous bishop, God rest his soul. Um, it's the book called The Paradise of the Spirit, and it has lots of different chapters in it. Um, and uh, this chapter is on confession and repentance, so I thought we would talk about that. Um, since uh, Lent is coming up, and uh, last week, huh? We just finished fasting, as Megdi Mikhail pointed out, for those listening on the podcast. He apparently doesn't want. Um, last week, Tony uh, Solomon talked about uh, the people of, of Nineveh, Jonah's fast, and so I thought maybe we could continue kind of that theme a little bit and talk about uh, confession and repentance and that sort of thing. So this is kind of the outline of the chapter. You probably, you probably can't read any of this if you're in the back. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about those things. Um, so very quickly, uh, the, this idea of confession was practiced uh, since the very early church. Uh, in the book of Acts, it says, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. St. James in his epistle says, Confess your trespasses to one another. And we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of that, confessing to one another. Uh, and then there's lots of t a talk about it in the, in the early church. Um, definitely the, that the fact that confession was a very important aspect of uh, the liturgical life of the early church. Um, and it was instituted by Christ. And when after he came back from the, you're here, um, after the time of the resurrection, he went, he actually walked through the wall, and he breathed on their faces and said, if you uh, forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, and if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So this is the power of the absolution that he gave the clergy, the, the apostles at the time, and he breathed in their face, and this is the same breath that those apostles then breathed in the face of the people they ordained. And to this day, when a bishop ordains a priest or a deacon, he breathes in his face. And if you will, that breath that uh, we received can be transferred or, 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 or found all the way back to the time of the apostles to when Christ breathed in their face. So obviously this is a very important thing, but um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about why the Lord wants us to confess uh, our sins. And um, sometimes our, our view of confession is a little uh, outdated, um, or not outdated. It's given to us um, in, a, in, a, in a way that's a little bit more stringent than it should be. So sometimes we think, you know, why do we have to confess? Well, so that God forgives our sins and that we're not punished um, and we have to remember all the sins we did because if we forget one, then we're punished for that sin, right? As if God is like this accountant who's, you know, waiting and looking at all your sins and said, well, you didn't get number 17 or number 25, so you messed up, right? And you got to think, oh, which sin did I do? And I got to be sure to say it, right? And there's some guy checking off a list somewhere. And sometimes we, we think of confession this way, like I, I got to get everything or else it won't be forgiven, and that's really a very harsh view of God. Um, and so I want to think about it a different way. Um, I want all of you to think of a sin that you've committed that you haven't confessed. Right? Just think to yourself, a sin that you've committed that you haven't confessed. You see how easy that was to do? Um, now I want you to think of another one. And that's easy to do as well. Can't think of any? Habibi. I'll help you. Come talk to me. Um, and so, and so uh, 
the reason we can think of them so easily, sins we've done that we haven't confessed, is because they're on our mind, right? They're, they're, they're there, right? And, and we know they're there, and we know they're kind of bottled up, and we know we haven't dealt with the situation. And this, this, this uh, uh, construction of man is something that Christ knows very well. He made us. God made us like this. He knows that when we do something, we feel bad about it, right? And every once in a while, um, we see that, I think I hit the record button, but I'm not sure. I hit a button. Um, every once in a while, we see, like, for example, somebody who's uh, a murderer who comes back 20 years later and, like, confesses that they murdered someone. So someone got away with murder 20 years earlier, and then you find out that they come back and they tell the police, I'm the one who did it. And the policeman will, you know, check the DNA and say, yeah, you're the one who did it. And they'll say, why did you confess? And they'll tell you, because I just couldn't take it anymore, right? I was done hiding. I was done running. I couldn't sleep at night, right? We see this on a lower level with our kids, right? Every once in a while, you know, when your kids are little, and all of a sudden, a cookie goes missing from the cookie jar, right? Your kid will come running up and go, yeah, I did it. I ate it. I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. I'm so sorry, Dad. And they, they feel like they have to tell you, right? And like, you know, you're like, why'd you tell me? You know, I didn't even notice the cookie was missing. But they're like, it was just eating away at them, right? And this is the way we are, right? So when we commit sins, they eat away at us, right? And they, and they slowly, if you will, devour us from the inside, and so Christ comes along, um, and in fact, we even say something, we have this expression, the death of sin. And it's, when we say the death of sin, we don't really mean that sin causes us to go to hell and eternal damnation and fire and all of these things, right? But the death of sin is even different than that. The death of sin is the, the death that kills us from the inside. Right? So sin kills us from the inside. It eats away at our ability to, to feel, to have empathy, to have compassion. Uh, it eats away even at our senses. And so God, for... Um, okay, so God, knowing our situation and knowing that sin eats away at us, he says, I want to take that from you. So God creates us. He knows that sin eats away at us. So he says, I want you to take the sin, the death of sin, the sting of sin, and I want you to do what? Put it on me. So Christ says, take the sin that kills and throw it on me. And let me eh, die instead. So take your sin, throw it on me, I'll die instead. Right? We know the wage of sin is death, and we know that sin is death. He says, let me die. Right? And we see subtlety there. Do you remember when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Right before he raised him, he did something. He groaned in the spirit. And every once in a while you hear this expression, he groaned in the spirit. What is that? When he would heal someone who was sick, he, before he would groan in the spirit. What, what, why did he groan? 
It's because he took Lazarus' death in that moment on himself. He absorbed it. And so when he would heal people or he would raise them from the dead, he didn't just fix them. He took it. He took the corruption and death that entered into the world. So disease and sin and death, all of that stuff, disease and death entered the world through sin, right? The man was not meant to have these things, right? So the corruption that entered the world entered because of that. So Christ, when he heals, he doesn't just say, boom, you're fixed. He takes it on himself, right? So Christ tells us, take these sins, take this death, and throw it on me. I'll die instead, right? And that's why we take the sins, we confess to the priest, and then we go to what? Communion, right? Which is the cross, which is the sacrifice. And we say, now take these sins and put it on him and let him die for it. Let him die instead. And this is what we do. I can stop it anytime. And this is what we do. <laughs> and this is what we do uh, through confession. I, mean, I just want to hear. That's all, I, you know, that's all I'm saying. Okay. All right, so the point of confession isn't about guilt. It isn't about you've got to, you know, remember all the sins. If you don't miss, if you miss one, you messed up. The point of confession, it's a gift, right? Because when we live without confession, we live guilty. We live agitated. We live something's bothering us, right? We've, we've had this experience even when you, 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 you sin against somebody, right? You say something you shouldn't say to somebody, and until you get a chance to apologize, there's something between us. And then finally, you say, look, I'm really sorry about what I said last week. And they're like, I'm sorry too. And you hug it out, and then what happens? <sighs> right? And that's, that's the feeling the church wants to give us. Right? And so what's the effect of confession? Right? Does it work? Well, all of us who have experienced confession know the answer. Right? How do you feel when you come out of confession? You feel great. Right? And this is the experience of the church. We come out of confession, and everyone will tell you, why didn't I do that sooner? Why didn't I get that off my chest sooner? Right? And this is the whole point of it. The church has given us a gift to relieve the guilt that we live in, right? because God created us and knows how we are. So this is why confession exists, and I think it's important because sometimes, you know, some of us, we, we get this impression of confession that it's this draconian thing, and you got to come up with your list, and if you forget something, it's bad, and, and all these other things. Whereas, rather, it's, it's like you don't want to forget something because you don't want to leave something on the plate, right? You want to just dump all of it, right? This is one of my favorite sayings. A saint is a sinner who keeps trying. So this is ultimately the way repentance works, right? The sa a saint is a sinner who just keeps trying. And there are really only two kinds of people or Christians in the world, those who are fighting and those who have put down their arms and are giving up. And all the church asks is that we continue to fight, that we continue to struggle. Today, Abuna's sermon was amazing, as it always is. Uh, but one of the things he said that's uh, just uh, impressed on me quite a bit um, was this idea of, of how... How could anyone go to hell, 
And the saint was marveling. He says, how could anyone end up in hell? And God said, yeah, there's one way they can end up in hell. They don't recognize how much they are loved. Right? It isn't that they forgot a sin or they didn't confess. Or they, it's they don't recognize how much they are loved. And this is ultimately, you know, the, I don't know where she is. She was somewhere. Yeah, she was here. Um, this is ultimately the role that we take on. Uh, on the 31st was St. Anthony's Feast, so I thought I'd uh, put this quote up. This is like the first rule of repentance, and to me this is, this is so important. Every day I say to myself, today I will begin. And this is just the role of the Christian. Right? You know, I, I remember hearing a nice story about a, a guy who went to a monastery, and he said, um, he asked the monks, uh, what do you guys do all day? What do you guys do all day? You're just kind of out in the middle of the desert. What are you doing? And the head of the monastery says, we fall and we get up. That's what we do. Right? And this quote by St. Anthony is just, um, it's so the whole basis of spiritual life. Every day I say to myself, today I will begin. And that has to be the attitude we have as Christians, right? Because in that statement is something extremely important, which is I don't even remember yesterday. You guys going to laugh the whole time? Laugh the whole time? Really? Um, it means as Christians, <laughs> we don't remember the past, right? Every day is a new beginning, right, in Christ. Right, so this is part of the book from Emba Yohannes. He talks about the importance and blessing of confession, psychological benefits, and this is something I think we just talked about. Human nature feels comfortable in peace and coming clean. Release of guilt is very liberating. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to, to expose ourselves and to let someone see us from the, from the outside. And this is extremely important as a person, right? We all have the self-reflection that we have to do daily, if not more. But there's a moment when you don't see it, right? I mean, I want you all to think of a friend, any friend, anyone in this room, okay? And then think of their, their sin or their problem or their issue, right? Think of your spouse, think of a friend, think of anybody. It's easy, right? You're like, oh, yeah, well, that person, you know, they, they lose their temper, and that person's, you know, arrogant, and that person's, well, and we can just boop, 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 go down this whole list, and we pick out everyone in the church, and we can tell you what their deal is. And then I say, all right, what's yours? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty good, right? So um, that's the problem, right? It's easy to see someone else, right? So when, when I go and I expose myself to the priest, Hopefully someone with some spiritual wisdom, but doesn't have to even have spiritual wisdom. It's easy to see, right? And then he can diagnose it much, much easier. And he says, well, here's your problem. This is what's going on, right? And you can't see it yourself, right? So when you expose yourself, it becomes that much easier for someone else to diagnose you. The reason this is important is because when you're in a relationship, right, a you know, marriage relationship or a friendship relationship, and then someone says to you, well, you know, you're just really arrogant. Your spouse will point this out to you at some point, right? Or your spouse will point out something else to you. You have one of two reactions, right? You can, you can look at him or her dumbfounded and just be like, what? 
You know, I've never seen that. I've never heard that. I've never, no one's ever, right? That's the first reaction. You know, and then it follows with, well, you know what you are, right? And then we're off to the races. Or the second reaction, if you're living a life of confession and repentance, is you already know about it, right? And so when someone says, you know, you've got this problem, your response is, yeah, I know. I'm working on it. I've been working on it for five years. I know I have this problem, right? And that results in a very different dialogue. Can you help me and point out these things when I do them? Can we work together toward and toward the kingdom of God? Right? So when you're in a relationship, and this is why we tell engaged couples to go to, go to confession, right? And they think we're all nuts because they're like, well, no, it's time to plan the wedding and the cake and the dress and the whatever, right? But when we're going to confession, we're seeing our faults. We're seeing our brokenness because our spouse is going to point out that brokenness to us, right? And if you don't see it, and your, your wife is the first person to point it out, it's not going to go well, right? Hopefully, you've already seen it, and you've already identified it, and you're already working on it. He who, St. John Cassian says, he who admits his thoughts cannot be deceived. He also said, sin may stay as long as it is, as it is hidden in the heart. Sin stays until it's hidden. Just like the light that Abuna talked about today in the sermon exposes once the, the light exposes, she's not, she's not here, Jamesy. Um, once the light exposes, then the sin flees. <laughs> so cute. Um, this is one of my favorite quotes from, he's freaking out, Habibi. Yeah, I know, it's scary. Um, this really is one of my favorite quotes from Met Metropolitan Anthony Bloom. He wrote this book, Life of Prayer, that um, I highly recommend. Beginning to pray, sorry. God can save the sinner you are, but not the saint you pretend to be. This one hurts. God can save the sinner you are, but not the saint you pretend to be. The idea of exposing ourselves, our sins, it, it sucks, right? And, you know... The, the, the church teaches us to hide our fruits and expose our sins. We hide our fruits, we hide our talents, we bury the talents in the dirt, and we expose our sins. And yet, if you look at our lives, it's the exact opposite. Right? We all love to expose our fruits, expose our talents, expose our virtues, and then hide our sins. Right? The exact opposite of what the church teaches us. Right? And so when we, are, when we live a life of exposure, well, the first thing is I don't get caught up with this idea of, you know, I'm a saint because everyone knows. And this goes back to something earlier I kind of referenced in the very first slide, this idea of public confession. Right? The, the confession used to be public in the early church. You confess to everybody. Right? Now think about that. You know, and now I think we think about it and we're like horrified. But if you think about that. If you're really in a group of nurturing, loving, caring people who are spiritually wise, wouldn't that be a great thing to do? I mean, think about Alcoholics Anonymous or how all of, a lot of these rehab programs work. Right? What, are the, what are those things? They sit in a circle and they do public confession. And one guy after the next tells the group 
how he screwed up that week. And in a, in a group of sympathy and love and empathy, they all just, you know, hug this person. Right? And it's very, it's very um, cleansing. Right? And so this idea of public confession, of, of, of putting out my sins, not in a fake humility way, as we have seen and have been taught, you know, like, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, pray for me. Not that fake stuff. That's worthless, right? But in a real way, right? Meeting people, talking with friends, saying, can you pray for me? I've got a problem. And exposing, right? And the more our sin sees light, the more it sees the sun, the more it gets purified, right? The more we expose, the more we open, the more it gets purified, Right? We all know how you know, cancer works or infections or anything. It, it, they, those diseases love to, to stay hidden. And the longer they are hidden, the more dangerous they are. Right? In fact, those are the worst diseases, right? The diseases that don't show symptoms. There are some diseases, you know, immediately you can tell. But the worst ones are the ones that stay hidden for a year, two, three. And by the time you go to the doctor and you say, oh, you know, what's going on? He's like... It's all over. It's done. Right? And those are the ones that get us. And sin is very much the same way. Right? The sin that remains hidden and just eats away at our, our core and our soul and our morality for years, that's the one that just eats us up from the inside out. Right? Um, okay. This is Elder Paisios. He says, ask for repentance in your prayer and nothing else. Neither divine lights, nor miracles, nor prophecy, nor spiritual gifts. Nothing but repentance. This is a far cry from our prayers. Our prayers, we think, are supposed to be ask for stuff. Ask for a relationship, ask for a job, ask for my kids, ask for my friends, ask for, ask for me. He says, ask for repentance and nothing else. Don't ask for lights or miracles or gifts or spiritual or, or prophecies. Nothing but repentance. Repentance will bring you humility. Humility will bring you the grace of God, and God will have in his grace everything you need for your salvation or anything you might need to help another soul. And this ultimately comes down to the whole point of church. I mean, we go to church for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, there are cultural reasons. I mean, you know, if I'm a, a recent immigrant, it's the place to see other Egyptian people, right? If I'm a, you know, if I'm a social person, it's a place to make friends. It's a place for activities for the kids. It's a safe place. But ultimately, the church is really one thing. It's just a place of repentance, right? And then the question is, if I'm not doing that, and what am I doing? There's kind of nothing else at church other than repentance that is the basis of the whole thing. Right? When John the Baptist came, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was it. That was the basis of the whole thing. So if you could take church and you can get rid of all of it other than repentance and communion then 99% of it's still there. Everything else we do is just fluff. 
It's just stuff. It just kills the time. Can you guys close the door? Close the door. Thank you. I think the kids are coming in, so I think we're, our time together is done. And the high schoolers are all outside. Does anybody have any questions, comments? Sorry, just I think it's ending. They're closing in on us. I guess not, maybe not. Anyway, so my, 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 my point is, in our prayers even, he says, don't ask for stuff other than repentance. It's amazing, right? And so sometimes we, we, we think church is a lot of other things, and it's really not. That's the only reason we're here. And if you're not here for this, I don't know. I don't know. Then why come, right? I mean, why go to a hospital if you're not sick? Stay home. Right? If you feel good, don't go to the doctor's office. No one looks good in the doctor's office, right? If, why come, right? And so if you're coming to the hospital and you're like, I'm just walking around and look at other sick people, okay? Or maybe I'm coming to judge the doctors, the clergy. They give you something to talk about. Who did what right? Who did what wrong? Is Emba Sarapian messing up? Is the priest any good? That's a social topic. We can talk about that for a few hours, how great the doctors are and how good the nurses are doing, right? But otherwise, I don't really see a good reason to come to a hospital. So repentance and this period of Lent that's coming up is that, is really the whole pur purpose of the church, right? And then we follow it up with communion. Repentance and communion always go hand in hand. Why? Because I take the sins and what do I do? I throw it on Christ, and I say, what? You die. You die for this sin. Die instead of me, right? And the communion, the Eucharist, is just that, isn't it? It's the, it's the reliving of the, of the ever-crucified Christ, right? It's the sacrifice of the cross that's continual, and we'll go back into it alive every single time. Um, okay, this is my last slide, I hope. <laughs> the kids keep coming in, but then they go out. I don't know. To repent, this is St. John Climacus. To repent is to not look downwards at my own shortcomings, but upward, upwards at God's love. It is not to look backwards with self-reproach, but forward with trustfulness. It is not, it is to see not what I have failed to be, but what by the grace of God, the grace of Christ, I might yet become. So the word repentance, and this will be our last slide, the word repentance uh, comes from a Greek word. Everyone know the Greek word? Yes, metania, right, or metanos. And that word means a change of direction, right? So think about what repentance is. It's simply a change in direction. And how do we change direction? Well, if I'm going this way, and I want to go that way, the first thing I do is I turn my head, and I start going that way. Right? And usually you don't walk backwards, right? You turn your head first. And so repentance is simply that action of turning your head, of turning where you're looking. So repentance isn't about looking at the sin. Right? You know, this morning I was listening to a, a psalm with uh, my kids on the way over, and it's Pope Carlos's favorite psalm. It's Psalm 24. It says, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will flee my, uh, free my feet from the snares. Right? 
So think about that. My eyes are ever on the Lord because only he can free my feet from the snare. So imagine if you, your foot gets caught in a snare, right? A trap. Okay? The, the, the psalm is actually counterintuitive, right? Because if you, your foot gets caught in a trap, what do you do? You look at your foot, right? I mean, if your foot's on something and you're stuck, you look at your foot. You look at the snare. You look at the trap. You study the trap. And you're like, how do I get my foot out of this trap? And the psalmist comes along and says, you have to look up at God. This is exactly what happens to us. We get caught in a sin, then we look at the sin. We look at the person. We look at the person who we got in the fight with. We look at the person who's causing me the problem. We look at the situation. And who are we not looking at? We're not looking up. So repentance says, don't look down. Look up. Change the direction. Look in a different direction. So repentance isn't, I did this bad, I did that bad, I should stop doing this. That's not really repentance. That's just saying, here's a list of all the bad things I've done. Okay? Because there's two sides to repentance. There's stop the bad things, which isn't all that important, as much as it is look towards God. Change the direction of the look. We think repentance means here's all the things i got to stop. I got to stop doing that, and I need to fast a little longer, and maybe this year I'll fast till noon or 1 p.m. without an abstinence. That's not it, right? The whole point of the repentance is to change the look. Don't look at the snare. Look up, right? And that's the key, right? That's what lets the light in, right? And that's why he says, to repent is not to look downwards at my own shortcomings. That's kind of ego. All the stuff I did wrong, what I could have been doing better, right? I can't believe I did that. I, can't, I'm, I should be better than this. I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I've been going to church for 30 years, whatever, right? Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves, and that's kind of a bit of ego as well. But upwards at God's love. It is not to look backwards with self-reproach, but forward with trustfulness. All right, I think I'm done. Does anybody have any uh, questions? Comments, book? I mean, what, what Michael said is repentance is an attitude. It's a state of mind. I think the way the, the, the fathers talk about it is they say it's a life. It's not a moment. It's not a, something I did. It's life. It's every breath, right? It's every moment because every moment the world draws us to look at it, and we have to pull ourselves out and look up. And that's repentance, change in the direction. So it's a life. It's a, it's a, if you will, a lifestyle, right, to use a trendy, you know, word. Yeah, make the hands up. Lifestyle has to involve actions and behavior, sure, 
But having said that, if I say, okay, I, I'm going to fast till 2 p.m., I'm going to fast more this year. And that's where I kind of leave it. And then I fast more this year. I'm like, I fasted more this year. That's really good. And if you notice in that whole dialogue with myself, there was very little God in it. There was, I need to accomplish this task. I accomplished this task or I did not accomplish this task. If I don't, I feel bad. If I do, I feel good, right, which is dangerous, right? So, and, and we have this whole interaction, transaction with all these um, parts of, of life that have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with simply, you know, even, even I can say, I'm going to read the Bible more this year. I'm going to read two chapters a night, right? And I don't find God in the Bible. I'm just reading two chapters, because I got to read two chapters, right? So I can have an interaction with the ritual and have n no God in it at all, completely. Exactly, exactly, right? And, and, and more importantly is, I mean, if I'm supposed to read two chapters a night, right, and I get to a verse, three, chap three verses in, and that takes me for 35 minutes thinking about it, then great, don't read the rest of the two chapters. You know, that, the point is in the chapters, and, and, I'll, and I'll take something, I'll take a step further. You know, when I say look up, again, that's a metaphor like you said, because God said the kingdom of heaven is inside us, right? So he's not up, right? He's actually inside, right? And so when we pray, we don't look up. We look in, right? Because that's where he is. Any other questions, comments? The kids are in droves now, so I think uh, I need to stop. Nothing? All right. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's stand up and pray. Make us worthy to say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Lead us not into temptation. Christ Jesus. We're going to have our servant meeting in a few minutes, so if you're a servant and you want to just stay in the church, you can. So it, 